0: well good morning good afternoon or good evening whenever you're listening this is davisville on KDRTLP 95.7 fm in davis california you can find us online anytime at kdrt.org davisville i'm bill buchanan i'm your host today thank you for tuning in well today's subject interests me for at least four reasons that i can think of right off the bat and that's because it involves food it's because it involves davis it's because it involves the invention of new food products And this could be good news for the environment, depending on how this idea develops. Specifically, we're talking about sweet proteins. This is a sugar alternative that's probably new to most of us. And a company called Oobly. This is a Davis company that's using these proteins to create sweet teas and chocolates. Now, the name of the company is Oobly. That's also the name of the product. We'll try to keep that straight as we go through this here today. Anyway, our guest is the company's co-founder and chief technology officer, Jason Ryder. He also teaches at the University of California, Berkeley, where he earned a PhD in chemical engineering. So Jason, thank you for talking with us today by Zoom. Great to be here, Bill. So what are sweet proteins and where do they come from? So sweet
1: proteins are just that. They are proteins that are sweet. But let me back up a bit for those of you who haven't had biochemistry for a few years. Proteins are relatively large biomolecules that are made up of amino acids, They're often referred to as the building blocks of life, right, and comprise some 50% of the dry weight of our cells. So due to their sequence and their three-dimensional folded structure, they can take on a number of roles, including adding structure to cells, catalyzing metabolic reactions, we call those enzymes, even DNA replication, all the important things in life. So back to sweet proteins, sweet proteins are a subclass of mostly plant-based proteins that when eaten taste sweet like sugar. Due to their amino acid sequence and their three-dimensional structure, which I mentioned, these particular proteins taste thousands of times sweeter than sugar. Now, why would a plant make a protein instead of sugar? While plants are of course really good at making sugars via photosynthesis, they would rather turn that sugar into cellulose, which is the backbone of their leaves and stems, right? And and of course, cellulose is a sugar polymer. And so they would rather make more leaves, more stems, more plant, more photosynthesis. And so from the plant's perspective, it's metabolically expensive to simply store sugar speculatively in fruit to try to get mobile species like us to eat them and carry the seeds. So we as humans, one of those mobile species and seed carriers evolved and are wired to crave things. Sweetness in particular for energy and our ancestors gorged on easy energy sources like fruits and honey in the wild when they were available, which was not that often. Our hypothesis is these sweet proteins evolved mainly in fruits to trick us into eating them to think that they were rich in energy. Right. And while this was a dirty trick several thousand years ago. Today, we live in a world where sugar has been cultivated. It's very cheap. It's recklessly abundant in our food system. And while we believe a little sugar in our diets, normal and natural, we were never meant to deal with the massive amounts of sugar in our modern diets. And we can see the implications of that, right? The outcomes, which are type 2 diabetes, obesity, heart disease, I could go on. Why are we hearing about them just now? Well, up until now, we had to travel the rainforests to get these sweet proteins from the plants that make them. And so what Ubli has done is we use fermentation to brew these sweet proteins, just like you would brew beer. And that gives us a way to make them much more scalable and much more affordable. So we can put them in products like our sweet teas and our chocolates to share them with consumers.
0: Boy, I, I can... Tell you have a degree in chemical engineering. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like you're you're saying a sweet protein, given the way we all live now, is a little bit of a corrective biologically in the sense that cellular sugar sort of tricks the body and now we get way too much of it and a protein is easier to digest. It's easier for us to process. Is that the point? A hundred percent. So unlike
1: sugar and, and other what I would call small molecule, uh, sugar-like molecules As you mentioned, proteins just digest readily. That three-dimensional structure of proteins unfolds once it gets to your stomach, and then it's chopped up into little bits of protein called peptides and eventually amino acids so your body can reuse it. What's different with sugar and small molecules is not only do they give you the sweetness in the mouth, but you also have taste receptors down your GI tract, which tell your body, hey, You've got more simple sugars here. You should make insulin to ferry this into your body. And they're mainly there because the majority of the sugar that we got in our early days was from what we call complex carbohydrates, starches, right? We have enzymes to break those down into simple sugars so that we can absorb them in our GI tract, And you need sensors all the way down the track to tell your body to make that insulin. And so- It's not just sugar that triggers that insulin response. It's other things like aspartame, like sucralose, like stevia. Those small molecules look like sugars to the sensors and they stimulate insulin response. And they do one more thing. You might not know it, Bill, but you're a walking, talking fermenter, as all of your listeners are. We have loads of bacteria and yeast and and filamentous fungi in our gut, which we call our microbiome. And it helps us digest food and and generally things go really well until it sees something that we're not evolved for, like a large amount of a small molecule that's been used as a sweetener. And the polite way to say it is having too much of those alternative sweeteners, you get tolerability issues as those microbes try to eat it. And they make a lot of gas in the process, which is very uncomfortable. One of the great things about these sweet proteins, not only do they not trigger insulin response in the gut, but they also don't affect your gut microbiome. We think that's a really game-changing effect for sweet proteins
0: and the world of sweetness. So uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask was how this sugar substitute differs from things like stevia, which I understand also comes from a plant. But I think I heard your answer there. You're saying that the fact that it's a protein is fundamentally different than some of these other sugar substitutes.
1: It is. Uh, Stevia and and monk fruit are in a class of sugar-like molecules called glycosides. And uh, it makes them taste a lot like sugar and look a lot like sugar to our taste receptors. But in fact, we can't metabolize them the same way because of their chemical structure. Uh, When I say we, we as humans, our human cells can't metabolize them with the the metabolic pathways we have. But the microbes in our gut are different. And there's a lot of different types of microbes that those particular molecules can impact.
0: So if these Sweet proteins have existed in plants in in Africa, primarily? Is that where they're from? Yeah, they're
1: mostly from around the the equator. The majority are in West Africa, but we're finding them in
0: all kinds of tropical places. Okay, so all over the world. But what I was wondering is, why not bring them to market until now? What has changed? And I, I suspect your answer is involving fermentation. But what has changed, if these have always existed, why didn't we see them 30, 40, 50 years ago? Uh, There's been a demand for sugar substitutes for as long as there's been sweet food, I think.
1: Oh, for sure. So they've been culturally used for a couple thousand years, at least in the native environments that they grow in, uh, mostly those tropical regions. The challenge is that typically the plants that make them, uh, the fruits and berries only have a small amount of the protein. And uh, once you pick the fruits, they start to You know, they produce enzymes, they start to break down. And the shelf life for these fruits, if you're thinking about selling them, is pretty short. And so that makes them exceptionally hard to cultivate because of where they grow. You can't grow them here in Davis. Unfortunately, Davis, as beautiful as it is here, this is not a tropical region. Believe me, we've tried. But uh, what's happened since then is we've, through biotechnology, figured out ways to make a few of the important components that plants make via fermentation. And so that's very much the case at Ooply is we are able to use our fermentation process to make these different sweet proteins at very large scale. And the scale that sugar is at, if you think about beverages, if you think about confectionery, if you think about dairy and bake, there's all kinds of places in your grocery store that sugar plays a role And uh, it's really important to be able to offer solutions for those that, you know, either are diabetic or just simply want to lower the sugar in their life by getting in all those areas, which means you need to make a lot of it. And so fermentation is one of those technologies that's very well suited for scale.
0: And this is something, this is a fermentation process that didn't used to exist. I mean, a few weeks ago, I had some folks from the UC Davis Cultivated Meat Consortium on this program. And we were talking about the food tech industry in this area and how research out of UC Davis is changing things. I'm getting a sense. This is one of the things that has changed in food tech research and product development is you can now scale these things up. You can now recreate them in a way that, you know, couldn't have been done a generation ago. Is that that the idea?
1: For sure. We've had uh, a few really big breakthroughs in the area of biotechnology. In the late 70s, of course, we expressed the first recombinant proteins, uh, which were insulin, just down 80 in, in the Bay Area. And that was the beginning of, of CEDIS and Chiron and, of course, Genentech. And uh, since then, we've had Carrie Mullis, um, you know, of course, developed PCR. We've had a couple of big breakthroughs in our ability to engineer DNA. Uh, Jennifer Doudna recently won a Nobel Prize at UC Berkeley for for her work in CRISPR. And so add that to all of our ability to sequence DNA and and now write it. And it's gotten uh, the techniques that are used uh, to engineer uh, different microbes to make, whether it be medicines to solve health issues, make renewable chemicals and fuels to address climate change, or, or in our case, make specialty proteins to help uh, improve the health of our food. There are all kinds of applications that cumulatively these, these advancements have put us in position to do here in 2023, what you couldn't do,
0: certainly in you know 50 years ago, even
1: 20 years ago.
0: I haven't yet been able to find Ooply products. I know you sell them in Davis in a few locations. The place I've been checking at has been sold out. But the point is, I'm thinking of a chocolate bar because you've got those on your website and your cans of sweet tea. And in listening to you, I'm struck by just the tremendous complexity and the research and the development that's going. So what in the end is a chocolate bar or a a can of tea? And that just strikes me as I guess that's the nature of food in this area. We've always been an agricultural area, growing crops and learning how they grow and, and so on. And now there's this whole new element about finding new ways to develop food products. It still leads us to chocolate bars and, and cans of tea in your case.
1: Yeah, so so sugar is, you know, associated with sweetness and, and celebration. And, um, you know, we're very passionate at Oobly uh, about giving folks that unrecognizable sugar reduction sweetness. And uh, you got to go where sugar is. Uh, I'd say 40 to 50% of all the sugar we consume as a society comes in the form of drinks. And so we wanted to start with a really wonderful drink. And that's our our sweet iced teas, which, by the way, Bill, you can find in Davis, maybe 15 different outlets. If you can't find us in the stores, please look us up at oobly.com. But we have more products on the way. So currently, you can get our lemon, peach, and mango yuzu teas. And we have an RDP on the way or Arnold Palmer coming in just a couple of weeks,
0: okay. as well as milk
1: chocolates uh, shortly thereafter.
0: So this kind of raises the question of talk about Uble the company, a little bit. It's research and development, and you based it in Davis because of all this food tech research in this area. Is, is that correct?
1: For sure. You can't talk about food science and, and food in general without talking about Davis, California. And that's why we were so passionate to be here. It's also a very welcoming community, both for research, which is half of our company, or, or I'd, I'd say it's it's probably the the shrinking part of the company as we become more and more of a commercial company with our product launches. We're also a manufacturing company. We're also an operations company, and so we love Davis as a community, starting with our research and food scientists or in fi- food science and fermentation but also for all the great people in the Sacramento Valley who are interested in joining us. Uh, we're a little over 50 employees and, and growing, and uh, we look to be here in Davis forever.
0: I heard you saying your R&D part will shrink, I imagine, as the other part grows. I mean, is part of your ambition to become, you know, I don't know, like Hershey's or something, eventually some very big company?
1: Yeah. So our ambition, I mean, I mentioned this earlier, is I'd, I'd love to bend the global health curve on type 2 diabetes, obesity, heart disease, all of the metabolic syndromes that come from our addictions to sugar. And uh, notice I say addictions to sugar, not addictions to sweetness. Sweetness is a great and wonderful thing. We just need to, uh, we need better options for it. And so sweet proteins are a much healthier. And and again, I would call it a game changing option for that sweetness. Don't take my word for it though. Taste our products. So where we're going from here is uh, we certainly want to launch a bunch of products that help folks. For those who haven't heard of sweet proteins before, dip a toe in the water, try them out. If you like them, buy more and you know as we use that as our platform for our sweet proteins to create that conversation with the consumer broaden that out and we'd love to partner with other folks uh, gosh even Hershey's uh, you know the big uh, food companies that have brands that everybody loves but maybe they'd love a little more if they had less sugar or a healthier sweetness and so um, we're here to do that. And our manufacturing is not in Davis. We partner with manufacturers in California and beyond to make both the sweet proteins, which are our ingredients, as well as the food products. Currently, sweet iced teas
0: and our chocolates. We're talking with Jason Ryder. He is a co-founder and chief technology officer of Ubly, which is a company in Davis, research company and product development company focuses on sweet proteins. This is Davisville on KDRT. And i'm bill buchanan so part of the environmental angle of this is that because sweet proteins are a lot sweeter than sugar you can produce not quite sure how to say this but you can produce a unit of sweetness for a lot less effort uh, than is required to produce an equivalent sweetness unit of sugar you have to grow sugar and water it and so on and is the environmental argument that simple or are there other factors involved here like i don't know if there's energy use required and, and then in a minute, I want to talk about how this differs from genetic modification, but let's start with the environmental angle. What's the impact of making Ubli the sweetener versus sugar?
1: Sure thing. So I, earlier in my career, I spent a lot of time in Brazil, which is one of the world's biggest producers of sucrose sugar, table sugar from sugar cane. And what I learned in that process uh, by driving through a large portion of Brazil, around 65 million acres of the world's. Arable land is planted with sugarcane, which is a tremendous amount of our agricultural resources to designate for sweetness, just for candy bars and, and sweet drinks. And for us, um, we make these sweet proteins that are between hundreds and thousands of times sweeter than sugar. And with every one percent of sugar, you know, production that we take out for our sweet proteins, that's around six hundred and fifty thousand acres of farmland, which by the way, much of that used to be rainforests, particularly in Brazil, but also in a lot of the other tropical countries that grow sugarcane. And it turns out we need those rainforests for the planet to breathe. Alternatively, uh, we could plant that land with crops that folks need to eat. Uh, We have a nutrition crisis on the planet too. We have too much food, but the wrong types of food and, and the nutritious foods not getting to the right populations. And so we see this both as, you know, part of a a systems level solution to climate, but also to helping improve the world's food system in terms of how we grow and and distribute. One more thing about that efficiency, right? It's it's that 2000 times number, for example, on the Oobly fruit sweet protein, which is the first one you'll get to drink in our sweet iced teas and our chocolates. The, The efficiency of making it, you do need sugar as a feedstock for fermentation, but that 2000 times multiplier should give you an indication of how little sugar you need to make the same equivalent sweetness. And so it's a great trade-off. I often compare the use of sugar on the planet to the use of petroleum. Stay with me, Bill. I look at petroleum as too expensive to burn and I look at sugar, as too expensive to eat. We can use sugar to make so many valuable things in our society, including a lot of the things we get from petroleum. But in this case, we can use it to upgrade the sweetness and do it in a way in which we get a lot of farmland back.
0: You said something a moment ago that kind of caught my attention. You said that the world produces too much food, but the wrong kind. Can, can you elaborate, elaborate a bit on that?
1: Yeah. So as one example, we grow a lot of sugar cane in in arable land. Uh, And in Brazil, as, as one example, about half of that goes into fuel and half of it goes into candy bars and sweet drinks. And we don't need to eat all of that sugar. Your listeners can't see this here, but I've got a bottle of soda here on my desk that has around 72 grams of sugar in it, which looks like 18 sugar cubes, which are about four grams each. And we can replace those 18 sugar cubes with just a few tens of milligrams, as I'm showing Bill here, uh, of this the sweet protein. And uh, that's in- incredibly important because you don't need to be eating 72 grams of sugar or drinking it in one serving. In fact, you only need half of that in one day. So, so-, so
0: your point is the, the, the too much food the world is producing is too much sugar, essentially.
1: Yeah, I'd say okay. the same could be true for, for some of the other staple crops, right? As as we we do make a lot of corn for corn sugar, we also uh, make a lot of soybeans. And much of that uh, sort of branches into animal feed that touches cultivated meat and, and a different problem that folks here in Davis are addressing. But I'd say there's a, a system level revisit around the 10 or so staple crops we grow versus the
0: nutritional needs um, of our population. So, uh, Food has the potential to be tremendously different, I don't know, 10, 20 years from now than it is now, partly because of products like yours, probably more so from things like cultivated meat, which is like growing meat from animal cells. Genetically modified foods make people nervous. Could you explain the difference between, I think, your precision fermentation and GMO? Because, I mean, each one is is manipulating, right, a food for a purpose, but you, you tell me the difference.
1: Sure. So the product that uh, you'll drink uh, with uh, oubli sweet iced teas or or eat in in our our dark chocolates and milk chocolates has a nature identical protein. It's the same protein that the oubli fruit native to West Africa makes. We simply uh, use the gene or or, or the, the genetic information from that plant to teach our yeast how to produce it in fermentation. And so while the yeast has a genetic modification in the gene, That helps it express the protein, right? Uh, Yeast express thousands of proteins. Uh, As I mentioned earlier in in our chat, uh, they make a whole bunch of different proteins for different roles. But in this case, you want it to make a specific one. And that's why they call it precision fermentation. But we purify, uh, we separate out by gravity, those yeasts, and then we filter off everything else to make a protein powder, sweet protein powder, which we use as an ingredient. And so Very different from when folks consider eating genetically modified foods, for example, tomatoes or corn or the like, where the actual change is something that you're eating. It's just the the product of a genetically modified organism. Um, And in the U.S., that means it's not GMO. Other folks are still trying to figure out what those definitions are.
0: Yeah, we had a discussion about that a little bit when the cultivated meat program. And I have a hunch that going forward, that'll be a key part to Consumer acceptance. I mean, you're clearly enthusiastic about your product, and and uh, you know it'll be available and people can try it. But as we get this new world of food, I think people are going to want to understand what exactly is changing and and why and and how. Your products are lower in calories than sugar products, but that's not to say they're necessarily low. I was looking at the calories, like for example, in the dark chocolates, three hundred calories for two point three ounce bar. Hershey's is more than that, but I, I guess I just want to make clear this isn't. zero calorie thing you're talking about right
1: not zero calorie and and there's certainly not zero sugar either you'll find a couple of grams of sugar in our our chocolates as well as as in our teas i'll start with our teas it's because we make them with fruit in the case of our peach we have real peaches we have fresh ingredients and including those real peaches which contribute a little bit to uh, certainly to the flavor uh, but also they come with a little sugar And uh, our premise is uh, you don't need zero sugar in your life. You have, I'd I'd say the the, the Food and Drug Administration or whoever makes those uh, recommendations, give you about 30 to 35 grams of sugar per day. You just shouldn't double or triple that. And so we want to help you get the same sweetness from products that you're used to getting it from, but with 75 to 85% reduced sugar, which is what we target in our products. And so those come with a few calories, um, but again, you got a budget for that in your day too. And so um, we we just you know want to help folks feel feel good about what they're eating and, and and keep to their budget by providing them the same sweetness and the same flavor and products they love, but with all all the excess sugar. And hopefully as you look at our label, you see all the ingredients you can pronounce and and generally recognize, including fiber. We do have. As you think about chocolate bars, you may not know that 50% of the bulk of a chocolate bar is typically made of sugar as it it, is a bulking agent, as well as the sweetening agent. And so when you pull 50% of that sugar out, as we have done with our sweet proteins, you can give somebody half the chocolate bar for the same price. Generally, nobody likes that, or you can replace it with better ingredients. And in our case, we've added some chicory root fiber, which is a healthy fiber for, for you to eat. And if I roll back again to earlier in our conversation, when we talked about early man, 2000 years ago, we used to get a lot more fiber. And so as we redevelop, rediscover, reimagine products, we're trying to put back healthy things in there to replace the unhealthy things we're taking out, like fiber.
0: Which regulator oversees your products? Is it a USDA or a U.S. Department of Agriculture or Food and Drug Administration? They regulate yours like a normal food product?
1: They do. Uh, We're we're regulated under the Food and Drug Administration in the U.S. And uh, we also partner with them around the safety of our sweet proteins. Uh, We've followed the gold, if not platinum standard for introducing new food ingredients, which all of our sweet proteins on our platform are. And that means partnering with the FDA on publishing all of that, uh, all of our safety studies, And that process in the U.S. is called generally recognized as safe or or grass. And so we're just as excited about consumer safety as the FDA is. And we found them to be great partners on
0: that front. So, Jason, you also teach at UC Berkeley. You've worked in the industry a long time. Fit what you're doing at UBLI or the teaching that you're doing into some kind of a larger context. What kind of changes have you seen in your career in terms of teaching this kind of food technology or research?
1: I've been fortunate to see the world through the lens, not just of of my own youth in Alabama. I grew up, I was really concerned about climate change in, in the 80s and 90s before we really knew the, the extent of, of the problem. And it's, it's really what brought me out to California and, and Berkeley, in fact, was, was solving those kinds of problems. And I got exposure to all of the great pioneers in biotechnology that were working on problems Mostly in health, right, as our first applications in biotechnology were for medicines. But then we learned how to use them to address problems in climate and food, too. And that's industrial biotechnology and now food technology. And so working out in industry on all those problems for the last 20 years uh, gave me exposure to all those early pioneers. And I learned a lot from them. And now I'm I'm passing on that knowledge to the next generation at, at UC Berkeley, And uh, it's it's a very interesting timescale difference as I've seen those tremendous changes in our ability to do great things with biotechnology. It's gotten easier and cheaper such that companies like Oobly can bring sweet proteins as a solution for those that want sweetness and sugar. But now I have students who are excited about all of those problems and, and I, I have the great opportunity to train them now with everything we've learned over the last 40 years to go out and do the next 40. And uh, that is spectacularly gratifying work. So I'm grateful for UC Berkeley I'm, I'm grateful for our shared bioprocess community spanning the bay area all the way up into the sacramento valley and, and beyond and and all of the great things that we're going to do with biotechnology across climate food and health moving forward because we really need
0: it all right it sounds like you're probably going to keep teaching then as well as take care of ubley
1: absolutely and uh what my students will probably tell you is everything i've done in my professional career including what i'm doing now at ubley i bring into my classroom including on their midterm that i just delivered last week and so uh, that makes for an exciting didactic between the fundamentals uh, that I'm teaching them in the classroom, uh, the applications in the laboratory and the relevance uh, to meaningful problems, not just at OOBLY, but in, in you know the biopharmaceutical world, the industrial biotechnology world, and of course, the food tech world that they all want to join when they take their next steps beyond UC Berkeley.
0: All right. Well, we've been talking with Jason Ryder. He is a professor. We've been talking about that for the last few minutes, but he's the chief technology officer and co-founder of Ubly in Davis, which makes products out of sweet proteins. Jason, thanks for talking with us today on Davisville. Thanks very much, Bill. I'm Bill Buchanan. This is Davisville, KDRT, 95.7 FM, in Davis, California. Thank you for listening.